What issues were top of mind for world leaders as they met in Davos, Switzerland this week? And what does it mean for the global economy? This is The Markets. Hi, I'm Sam Grobart. Today I'm joined by Luke Bars, Global Head of Client Portfolio Management and Fundamental Equity within Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Luke, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Sam. World and economic leaders met this week in Davos, Switzerland for the annual World Economic Forum. What were some of the big takeaways you and clients were paying attention to from that conference? Well, look, Davos is always a very interesting reference point. It comes early in the year. We hear a lot both from the political side of the agenda, but also from clearly corporate leadership. And this year, there is a marked change. We are seeing more optimism on global growth. There are still lingering concerns around inflation dynamics, around macroeconomic volatility, and I would say specifically the lingering issues around geopolitical tensions and cyber risks that universally corporate CEOs are referencing. But clearly, the economic path seems more favorable. And so there is a degree of optimism that maybe wasn't heard quite as evidently last year. Luke, I want to ask you a follow-up question about this regarding AI. That has obviously been a major topic over the past year. Was there anything out of Davos that you were seeing related to that? Very significant optimism, I think, is the, the short summary on that, Sam, both in terms of the innovators behind some of those large language models, what that means in terms of productivity enhancement, and obviously for a lot of corporates, the ability to utilize those innovations, those new technologies to enhance the efficacy of what they're delivering. Now, I would say there are some cautions that people will present around what it means for jobs, what it means for labor markets. There are clearly going to be parts of the labor market that are more disrupted. But if we take the optimistic and positive side of this, it is about enhancing productivity for the way in which people operate. And that should be net positive for corporate margins and hence for earnings growth going forwards. Earlier, you referred to geopolitical issues. Geopolitical stability obviously has come into increasing focus over the past year. How are markets thinking about the various conflicts across the globe? I think first and foremost, if we take a step back, there has been a structural shift in the last three to four years around geopolitical tension. We see it both qualitatively, just unfortunately in the news flow, but actually also quantitatively, if you look at volatility indices, if you look at geopolitical risk indices, there has been a marked step change in that last four-year cycle. Now, to a degree, the market is still absorbing some of that information and looking through some of that information as we go forward over 2024 with a more positive global growth backdrop. But clearly, it is driving change in strategy and change in corporate mindset, specifically as we get into things like supply chain dynamics, resource and economic security-related issues that are part and parcel of that more challenged geopolitical environment. Let's talk a little bit more about supply chain issues. Obviously, that rose to prominence during COVID and in its wake. But as you point out, geopolitical issues certainly contribute to that. What does that mean for the investing landscape today? Well, so first and foremost, from a macroeconomic perspective, I, I think it does create challenge for risk assets. We are in a scenario where post-COVID, companies are having to rethink their supply chains. Part of that was naturally happening anyway, because China was becoming less cost competitive on the labor side of things. So light manufacturing exports were being re-offshored from China to other parts of South Asia in particular. But actually post-COVID, what companies are looking at is how do I build a supply chain that solves for just-in-case supply as opposed to just-in-time supply? And that is going to be inflation. As you go through that cycle of restructuring supply chains, it involves capital investment, involves changing corporate strategy that isn't necessarily positive from a macroeconomic standpoint. All that said, it does create opportunity. If you're selective and thoughtful around what it means at the industry level, actually, there are a lot of businesses that we're investing in on the equity side that are core beneficiaries of that trend. Let's just take one simple example. Think about the semiconductor industry. 
the world has a dependency at this stage on Taiwan, specifically one company, TSMC, as it relates to semiconductors. That is why you've seen such a huge political agenda, US Chips Act being the most obvious example where we're putting $100 plus billion of capital into rebuilding US chip manufacturing to alleviate that geopolitical risk and that political dependency we have on other markets. Now, that's not to say we will say TSMC suffers from that. TSMC building fabrication facilities in the US to maintain market share is a very interesting dynamic. But that $100 billion of capital that's going into building those facilities involves a lot of other derivative plays, picks and shovels type businesses that will be beneficiaries of that capital investment and CapEx expansion. You mentioned TSMC. Of course, you mentioned Taiwan. That is a nation that recently just held an election. This is a huge election year. In fact, 2024 is going to be the biggest election year in history. Countries representing more than 60% of the world's economic output and more than half its population will go to the polls this year. What's top of mind for you, Luke, as you look across the election calendar around the world? Yeah, you're absolutely right. We see 76 countries going to the polls this year. That is a significant part of the global population is a significant part of the global economy. I think there's some very pertinent ones, as we all know, the US election, the Indian election, the UK election, European parliamentary elections that will be happening across the EU as well, just to name a few. Now, I think obviously, as we look at it from a markets context, we have to think about the potential for change in direction from political leadership. So if we were to see change in leadership, for example, in the US from Democrat to Republican, or in the UK from conservative to labor, that may lead to some change in fiscal policy. It may lead to some change in dynamics, which will have a bearing on markets. Now, all of that said, as much as it is a year where we're seeing significant number of polls taking place, and that should create some volatility in markets, we don't think it necessarily has a significant bearing on changing the direction of travel we're already in. And by that, I mean the dynamics we referenced a second ago around supply chain restructuring, around economic security, around ensuring you have confidence in your supply partners, whether it is around traditional manufacturing, or areas like energy and resource security, regardless of what we see on the political side of things, I think some of those dynamics are entrenched and likely to continue even past the course of 2024. Luke, last question. What is going to be on your radar for next week? We have some big data points that are coming out next week, whether it's in the US, we have GDP data, we have PMIs, initial jobless claims. From Europe, we have PMIs, as well as some additional commentary from the ECB. So I think there's a lot of data points to watch. There is still a sense in the market that Good news is bad news, bad news is good news. But overall, it does feel like we're progressing gradually towards a better economic outcome. And if that does give central banks some flexibility further through the course of this year to start cutting rates as inflation continues to moderate, I think that can give us a better backdrop. But each of those incremental data points will be useful in validating that perspective. Luke Bars, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sam. Great to speak to you again. That does it for another episode of The Markets. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your streaming audio. I'm Sam Grobart. Thanks so much for listening. The opinions and views expressed in this program are not necessarily the opinions of Goldman Sachs or its affiliates. This program should not be copied or published without the express written consent of Goldman Sachs. Each brand mentioned in this program is the property of the company to which it relates and is not used to imply any ownership or license rights. Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice through this program. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this program. Our theme music was composed by Soundboard.